Those are the sounds of Tito Rodriguez live at the Palladium. That's a, I think that was released in 61, probably recorded in 60 or maybe even 61. Fantastic music for a fantastic conversation. I got to sit down on the uh, first episode of the new season of Generation Anya podcast and of Miami Now. I got to sit down with my old buddy, Gus Cabrera, who, you know, we go back about 30 years, a lot of great laughs, a lot of great cigars, a lot of great conversations. And he asked me to emcee his inauguration ceremony a couple of years ago when he was uh, elected as the president of the LBA, the Latin Builders. Uh, I, I was thrilled to do it. And it's not like I'm on TV anymore, but I was happy to dust off the old chops and, and, and jump on and do some emceeing for my, for my old pal. And it's really interesting because he's exiting now after two years. He's succeeded by Anthony Gomez, who's going to be a great president also. But I wanted to talk to Gus about his experience and also just, you know, some of the some of the details about the LBA, how it was founded, the role that they play in our community. And, you know, of course, we talked about a lot of Miami stuff, even in Mango Azul, got a shout out. We talked about going to high school down here, the the, the the challenges that one faces in life, sometimes the great opportunities that one's given. Gus is one of the most intellectual. I mean, he, the guy's built like a linebacker, but he is one of the most intellectual cats you will ever meet in your life. And so we talk about, you know, great books. And it was a, it was a fantastic conversation. And it, I think it really puts... Um, you know, our community and, and involvement in our community in a very um, uh, interesting and insightful light. And I loved, you know, just just getting Gus's perspective on, on, on the roles that an organization like the LBA plays in our community and also just, you know, hearing about him and growing up. And I thought it was one of the funnest conversations I've had in years. I think you'll get a big kick out of it. And I think you'll learn a lot, too. And... Um, you're going to come away with some great book recommendations for sure. But but also find out about, you know, a, a person in Miami that you should know because this is this is good stuff. And I think you'll really enjoy my conversation with Gus Cabrera. Gus, you were telling me about your presidency leaving. I was lucky enough to be there for your inauguration. You asked me to MC, Leaving it. What was the experience like? How do you feel? How do you feel you left the, the organization? So, you know, I think uh, part of um, taking on the leadership of any association, and particularly one that's, you know, a, a pillar of this community, particularly of the, the Hispanic and the construction industry in South Florida, uh, is a little bit intimidating at first. And uh, once you exit, and once you exit that uh, or end that tenure, you have a tendency to look back, um, particularly if, if it's been a good tenure, with in a positive life, and, and we all should, right? I, I, I certainly feel that it's been a positive one. You don't remember so much, you know, the struggles, the grind, the, the uh, hard work, uh, the moments of desperation and, and concern uh, that, were, that are part of planning events. We are an association that beyond our advocacy, beyond our support of our members, the vast majority of which are small member, are small businesses. Um, you know, we're a networking association, and we've leaned into that networking by creating really good events. And I think, as we, you and I have talked in the past, we've tried to create this um, ecosystem, uh, kind of following the App Store, uh, the Apple App Store uh, idea or initiative, where 
inside and, and if you remember apple if you know apple doesn't really make any apps but what they do is they create this ecosystem where an app developer and a consumer find each other and i think that was the global vision of our networking initiatives right our networking events create this ecosystem where uh, contractors and sub trades or builders uh, could meet each other could meet each other connect create relationships create relationships in a relaxed setting uh, that would yield at the minimum a friendship uh, but the potential for business opportunities as well so we really try to to create that we have you know, a number of events every year, and we really try our best uh, to support those events with enough different types of uh, vendors and contractors and members uh, to to create a, a you know a, a really good networking experience. I think from from to, to your question as to you know, the, the, the metrical part of measuring the success of the association. I think what I mentioned to you earlier was that, you know, on day one of our association, we had, you know, a low number of, of members. We had, or a lower number of members that we had before. We were emerging out of COVID. Uh, I think there's a metric out there, or, or there was a, uh, I read somewhere that 70% of all nonprofit associations went under during COVID. We survived, thankfully. Uh, had to do a lot with the previous leadership. and But we had an office in Hialeah Gardens that was in a very industrial area that no one really visited too much. We had one employee. We had, uh, you know, some financial uh, issues. And now, moving forward, we have, uh, as I end the my tenure, we have, we've grown our membership by 135%, uh, which is a tremendous number. We have... Uh, a very solid financial uh, position. Uh, we've eliminated our debt, which was significant, stemming from our charter school. Uh, we have an office in the Gables that is in the central area uh, with multiple employees that allow for our members and our directors to visit. So we've created, we've elevated the association considerably. Uh, and I think, you know, the, the, the only goal that one has in a leadership role is to find, is to leave that association or leave that group better than you found it and i think i've done that that's fantastic and so you've it you definitely raised the profile of the of the lba in this time these events that you're talking about they're everything from you know a cigar night once a month uh, or a social once a month to larger events can you give us some examples of those sure so so we do our our bread and butter events are our monthly luncheons uh, we don't do them every month, but we do them because uh, we take the summer off and in the holidays we take a month off. So we do about six monthly lunches per year. Uh, so under my tenure, we had, you know, I was responsible essentially for for 12 luncheons. And each one of those luncheons welcomed north of 300 people, 350 people. I think our last luncheon was close to 380 people. That's a lot of people, you know, and it's a Friday afternoon, typically the last Friday of the month. Um, and, and what we try to do, again, following the formula of creating that relaxed setting, but those events are headlined, for the lack of a better term, by a community figure uh, of some profile. Um, the, we've had, this year we had the chairman of the county commission. We had the chairwoman of the city of Miami commission. We had the owner of Inter Miami and the CEO of Mastec, you know, 
Uh, we've had U.S. senators attend. We had uh, elected officials this past uh, Friday for our awards luncheon. We had the speaker-designate of the Florida House of Representatives, Danny, Danny Perez. Uh, so folks that people want to hear from, folks that people want to see, those events are also attended by a lot of elected and appointed leaders throughout South Florida. And sometimes it's difficult for the small business owner in the construction industry or in the building industry or in the real estate business to have a meeting with these folks uh, because, you know, schedules don't always coincide. This is kind of like a shooting, in the, shooting fish in a barrel effect where they can at least get some face time, introduce themselves. And those introductions can sometimes lead to an actual meeting in a more, much more efficient and relaxed, you know, friendly manner than your traditional official appointment set, 15 minutes to advocate, and thank you for coming uh, type of scenario. So that's, I think that's the secret sauce of our association is that we have the ability to create those connections to create the environment where those connections are created organically, if you will. It's wild because I think a lot of people hear LBA and they have an idea of what the LBA is, the Latin Builders Association, but they don't actually know what it is or what it does. Right. And, you know, just for the layman, mm -hmm. when was it founded and what is the main kind of role that you play? So the LBA was found, founded 52 years ago in a, in a very, uh, very Miami way. It was founded by, uh, you know, a handful of Cuban exiles really looking to, um, looking to rebuild their lives after having left, you know, uh, Castro's Cuba. Uh, at a point where Miami looked, 1971, Miami looked a little different than it looks today. And the construction industry was still somewhat, um, did not include Hispanics, let's say. Uh, so these folks uh, kind of joined together, came together to help one another. And it started, innocently enough, over breakfast. They would meet once a, month, once a week or once a month and just talk about their issues. I'm sure there was plenty of Cuba conversations. And these are guys that are trying to um, build single-family homes, business homes, or they're just in materials. What are these guys doing? What's their... What a they? little bit of all of the above. So you had a, a plumbing company, a plumbing provider. You had an insurance guy. You had a single-family builder. Uh, you may have a drywall guy that wanted to become a builder. Uh, so you had a little bit of that. So uh, not unlike a traditional small business that begins with one scope and grows into becoming other things, they were just trying to survive. They were trying to survive in a, in a foreign land and trying to make the best of their situation when it became apparent that a return to Cuba was unlikely, right? So they come together, uh, little by little, uh, additional folks begin to join. And what, what I mean by it being a Miami story is that it follows the layers of the Miami, um, uh, of the Miami uh, diaspora, if you will, right? And you see that foundational layer of Cubans that came to this country escaping communism, trying to rebuild their lives. But there's also a layer of the Nicaraguans that came after the Sandinistas uh, took, took, uh, uh, took power in Nicaragua. Then you have Venezuelans who came after Chavez, stuff like that. Then you have new Cubans, uh, recently arrived Cubans that come. And then you also have the effect that you have, and I always say that 
when you Latin Builders, that was the branded name. That's still the branded name. It's kind of Kentucky Fried Chicken. It was Kentucky Fried Chicken. Now it's KFC. Uh, Latin Builders Association is now the LBA because we're not all Latin and we're not all builders. You have African-Americans that are members. We have, you know, non-Hispanic that are members. We have Europeans that are members. Uh, you know, so Brazilian uh, that, that are members. You you have all kinds of of different folks that are now uh, part of our association. So we, we've kind of evolved into this. Yeah, we're still we're still very close to our culture, and it's undeniable. I mean, you, you go to a luncheon, and just the decibel level of the uh, of the luncheon <laughs> reminds you that you're in a very Hispanic Miami Hispanic uh, environment. Uh, but at the same time, it's very welcoming, uh, it's very inclusive, um, and and it aims to create a this this amalgamation of ideas, cultures, uh, really creating that, you know, and, and I think that's why the parallel with the city of Miami, the same way that Miami has this cultural mosaic, you see its resemblance in associations like ours. That's so cool. And it's really taken, you know, and especially, I mean, it's, it's been a very respected organization in Miami for a very long time. But when you talk about the significance of these networking events and things like that, I think earlier we were talking about an average Chamber of Commerce event is getting this many people, and your event right. is getting what? Well, for instance, our awards luncheon that took place uh, this past Friday, uh, September 29th, we had 1,000-plus uh, attendees. Uh, that was a lot of people. Uh, traffic was backed up in Doral. I think we created, uh, you know, it was funny because the... Uh, one of the one of the speakers, which is a gentleman from Florida Power and Light, which was our title sponsor for that event, uh, made a comment. Uh, you know, based on listening, because one of the things that we do is we introduce all the elected and appointed uh, officials that are in attendance, just so people know who they are. Uh, and he said, "Well, I don't know how Miami Dade is functioning because anybody who's anybody is here." So, so I thought that was kind of cool. So, I think I think we had a you know we we. It speaks to our to our relevance. It speaks to our influence, but it also speaks to our inclusivity. The fact that we have that many people attending, um, I think it there are events that are where people want to be want to be seen, want to be able to engage with others, and and I think that's uh, I'm very proud of that. That's very cool. I mean, I always take a great deal of pride in my friends that have been part of it, and when you told me you were going to be the president. I thought that was extraordinarily cool. Tell me about your background, how you grew up, and you know what your path was to to becoming involved in in something like the Latin Builders Association. So it's interesting. I think I think you were at my at my event um, at my gala installation gala. Uh, it's kind of like a debutante ball for old fifty plus year olds, but um, and I think I made a reference to that. Uh, in in my you know acceptance speech, if you will, uh, that kind of try to marry that path uh, how we got here, right? So I think um, my story is not one that's unique uh, to South Florida. I was born uh, in in Cuba in Santa Clara and came to this country with my parents at the age of eleven, uh, not yet eleven, ten and a half or so, a year before Mariel, almost to the day. Uh, so I was 
what what's unique about me in that time is that I was one of maybe four kids who didn't speak English in my elementary school. A uh, year later, things changed considerably when, when Mariel happened. But, um, so uh, I've been, I'm a proud product of Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Um, attended Florida International University. And then when I left, uh, when I graduated from college, I went to work for a company called Church and Tower. Church and Tower is today Mastic, uh, a Fortune 500 company, one of the few Fortune 500 companies that's Hispanically controlled, right? And it's led by, you know, an amazing individual that I had the pleasure of working with. So the that was my entry into construction. I think the parallel uh, motive there as well was that my father was a man that was an accountant in Cuba, was an, an extremely intelligent uh, guy and I, and I mentioned made a comment in my speech that uh, he refused to bend the knee to the communists in Cuba and was punished because of it but when we came to this country for a number of reasons he was reduced to a day laborer on construction sites uh, but he went to work every day worked hard never complained you know but so d- placing framing framing drywall and I made a point in that speech to mention that I don't think that a, a you know, when I was at that point, uh, I don't think he, he ever envisioned his teenage kid becoming the president of the LBA at that point. But so we come from those backgrounds, a lot of us, that we are, you know, traditional uh, working folks, right? We see hard work in our dinner, t- across the, our dinner table. Uh, we see the sacrifice and your condition to work hard. So I work very hard at Mastic. I, when I leave Mastic, I get more into the consulting and the political bug bites you, so you get involved in that. Always been involved in real estate. But throughout it all, I mean, particularly in my professional career, um, you know, once I got a little older, a little more established in what I was doing, you know, being part of the association of the LBA was always a, a goal of mine. I was fortunate to have a lot of good friends that were part of it. Uh, so the entry point was very inviting um, and it was very comfortable. Um, at the same time, the economy had kind of made a little bit of a downturn when I really get involved. And uh, we had to roll up our sleeves and help the association uh, survive that. And we did. Uh, and, you know, like, like any group, it has its ebb and flows. Um, but, you know, the, the underlying um, support of the association is the commitment that the members have towards it. Uh, we believe, and I know I speak for many, we believe in our mission. We believe in what we do, uh, which is ultimately to help one another, to help one another support if, if, and support one another. If there's a company that's a member company that needs to find a contractor or a vendor or a material provider or an insurance agent or an attorney, you know, that gets internalized and it's all hands on deck to help that member connect with options for he or she uh, to choose from. So I think that's a commitment, that's a, that's a, a very altruistic intent that, that we all have. Um, and, and I think, you know, that's, when you see enough of that, you, you're kind of galvanized by it. And I always say that you should not be part of any association that you do not want to lead. You may not get the chance to lead, but you should want to lead that association because that's the ultimate commitment. So uh, I think in there lies um, a lot of the commitment of the folks that have led 
the association in the past, and and it is a sacrifice. It's a it's a full time job that doesn't pay, um, you know, financially. Uh, but but it's um, certainly when you come out of it, uh, not to get too philosophical, but you know, Emerson said that the true reward in doing something right is in the doing. So you 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 take that effect. You you have that sense of accomplishment simply because something was done correctly. So you mentioned Emerson, Gus, you're one of the most well read people that I've ever met in my life. Like you're always quoting, you know I only read the quotes. No, I don't know. This right uh, before we turn the thing on, you were quoting do you remember what Frost. It was? Frost. Frost. What was the quote? Robert Frost. Happiness makes up in height what it lacks in length. He also said he who does not like baseball is dull of wit. So, which is, a, which is I, I used for all my basketball fan friends. So that's very funny. Yeah. Um, do you? Can we talk about personal life and growing up? And we can do that. We can do that. It's not, no, it's, it's not that exciting. It's not that exciting. But um, you said the Miami Dade public school system, but yeah. specifically, it's one of the few places in the world where when you say. But people want to know what high school you went to. That's like, everywhere else in America, people want to know what college you went to. High That's school, right. who cares? In Miami, in Miami, they ask what high school you went yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a product of Miami Coral Park Senior High in the heart of Westchester. And you played football there? I played baseball there. I played baseball. You we were? had a lousy football team. Good guys, but just we played baseball there. What position did you I play? I played catcher. I, in someone with my frame... You're a, you're a big guy. You're a big, giant, like, powerlifting type of guy. Right, Because right. this is on the radio. People right. can't really hear it. Yeah, see so it, but... I play catcher. I think, uh, you know, it's, it's interesting because I always think that if you look at major league managers and front office folks, uh, the higher percentage tend to be catcher. It's the only position that's facing the field, you know. So uh, you have a – you have – you're forced to have a broader perspective, you know. Uh, but – um, I enjoyed it. I was a big baseball fan. I think the 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 ego and the and the love of it was much considerably larger than the talent, you know. So, uh, but but I think you know I think team sports overall, whether it's basketball, football, or baseball, allow you to to learn how to work as part of a team and and be responsible to another human being. And I think that's a tremendous. Uh, foundational education that you get uh, that carries over tremendously into the professional world. I think you can usually tell when people have played a team sport yeah. or not because it's a, it is a thing. And baseball is unlike other team sports in that it's an individual sport, but it's a team sport. And right. so that pressure where you know that, like, okay, three guys are on base, I can't let them down. That's it. And if you do let them down, got to go up and do it again in in a few minutes yeah it's so. individual actions inside of a group sport so you're kind of responsible for your task you know it, there's no more naked of a feeling than a ground ball hit to you that you don't you know or something happens directly at you that you don't come through i mean we have errors right yeah, there's right. no other sport that has that kind of terminology well it's a sport that if you fail seven out of ten times you're in the hall of fame isn't that amazing? So that's that's the uh, that's I heard the amazing. Somebody say once, yes, that's what baseball taught me how to do: how to fail yeah. and still win. Yeah, and exactly. Fail so baseball was a big component of of that, particularly as a, as a kid. You know, it was uh, it was everything to me. And then I, I was always a good student. I was a good kid in in that sense. I always took care of my grades, and and my dad had a love of reading that I inherited. So, Clearly, 
Yeah, so I do. I mean, now it's funny. It's funny how technology plays into it. I find myself listening to more audiobooks now than I do actual reading, just simply because of the 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 ease with which you can have access to them compared to reading. You still, you know, I can drive a car and listen to a book. I, it's, it'll be tough to drive a car and read a book. For now. Know, for now. Soon. Uh, for soon. Yeah. Yourself. So um, I I went to college as a, uh, you know, with the idea of, of becoming a, you know, a, my dream was to become a, a stockbroker of sorts. Uh, a major, I, I declare my major in finance after watching the movie Wall Street. Uh, you know, so I'm, I'm profound like that. Uh, so, uh, but we had a, and, and, but, you know, again, I, I think what, what college teaches you, particularly when you stop playing group sports and stuff like that, college teaches you to participate in a, in a nucleus of folks that are aiming for more, right? And, and where you find your place in that, in that crowd. Uh, and it does include helping one another. Um, it does include, and I was very keen on that. I always knew that it was as important to create relationships, um, which are interchangeable for connections and stuff like that, but create relationships, real relationships, uh, that would be long lasting. Uh, and I did, I had, you know, some of my closest friends are, are, were folks that I went to college with. And, um, you know, you develop those, you know, you, you help guide the same way you kind of help each other guide through a midterm exam. You help guide each other through your early years in the professional business. You bounce ideas and, and problems and solutions of each other in, in your professional development. And, as you become part of the community and you grow family or you participate in an association like the LBA, you share ideas, how to make it better, how to, what works, what doesn't. So those, those are, are always, I always, I always, you know, not proud, but look at that, look at those relationships with a lot of values, with a lot of value. Where did you learn that? Who did you learn that from? You know, I think, um, I think I've, I don't know that I certainly didn't read it from a book or or a YouTube channel or anything of that sort. Uh, you see it from from folks where, where it works, where you build relationships that that uh, you know you see friends that connect to help one another, and you know I I want to have that level of help, but you realize that in the same way that you're getting help, you need to provide that help to others as well. And so you you kind of. It's almost by osmosis. You kind of um, feel it and see it, and 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 becomes part of you, and then it becomes ingrained, and and it also gets validated because it works. Uh, when it works, you want to do it better, do it more often, uh, improve on it, uh, expand it, uh, and so you know I've I've been fortunate to be around people that are very good at that, and I've learned from them. So. And did your mom work? My mom was, you know, and my father passed away. When I was uh, when I was a senior in high school, my mom was a stay-at-home mom that worked at home. You know, she fixed nails for the neighborhood ladies. She sold Avon. Uh, she did whatever she could to make ends meet. My sister was very little when my father passed away, so we kind of survived. I got out of high school and I had stopped playing baseball, and I had you know I had two jobs at one point uh, while I was going to college. Uh, and it sounds romantic, but I still found time time to have a lot of really good time in college. You know, it was just when you're young, you have that energy. 
and 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 you do whatever you you can to survive and in the process have fun so uh but that was it I mean, we lived in a small apartment right next to right next to coral park which uh saved a lot on gas uh, not to mention a car <laughs> you know so uh and we you know you survive it was a different miami as well it's not ex as expensive as it is now so i think uh i you know i hadn't given that a thought but i wonder if that situation would have been replicated today or would have taken place today you know that would have been i, I think a, a different survival path than back then that's very difficult to lose a parent so young and I imagine a very absolutely yeah I know it, it's traumatic because you never think it's going to happen to you and when it does you kind of you know you feel different things you know so um and I and I think and I think when you lose uh your father at age 18 and if you can you know think back when when you were 18 we really there's there's a line that says another funny quote is when I was 16 I thought my dad was a total idiot when I was 20, I was amazed how much he had learned in four years, you know. So when you're 18, you think you know it all, you know. And, and it's very difficult for anyone, or at least it was, I was, I think that I was a difficult kid to be guided. Because at that point, I really thought that I was on my own. And uh, you figure it out. You, you try to figure it out. But in that figuring out, you make a lot of mistakes. That's interesting. I, uh, that's a very difficult situation. I, you know, I lost my folks young too, not that young, right. but young. Yeah. Um, but I, you've been so successful. You know, you really got to, does it ever occur to you? I don't want to be all modeling, uh -huh. but does it ever occur to you? Like, wow. Mira donde llegué yo. Well, you know, I, I, I think, I think, you know, success is, is relevant. I think, uh, I'm successful because, you know, I'm, I'm married to a great lady. Uh, I have a great kid. Uh, you know, I have a, a, a you know a, a nice roof over my head. Uh, I, I feel like I've added some value to uh, to uh, the community. I think I add value to my friends and stuff like that. And I mean, I, I don't want to sound too uh, clichéish, but I think that's really. I think at a certain age, and I'm about to be turned 55, you have a different perspective on what success means. Can I have more money in the bank? Yes. Send, you can send a check to me any anytime you want. Uh, but I think overall, um, the you know you kind of there's there's no good business with bad people and there's no bad business with good people. Uh, you kind of I've been very lucky that I've had really good friends that have helped me and have helped me guide me, uh, and I've been smart enough to listen to them. Uh, and when opportunities have presented, I haven't taken. I'm not a risk taker by any means. Um, that can be good and bad, but in my case, I think it's been good. So uh, I, I'm more lucky than I am successful, I think. You're a really smart guy, too. Oh. I mean, a very thoughtful, smart human being. It's amazing because I know a lot of people that are successful and blah, you know, but you're one of the more thoughtful human beings I've ever had to deal with in Miami. You really are an uncommon fish in the fishbowl, Gus. Well, I don't know about uh, I don't know about that, but it, it's uh, true. Yeah. And we met back in the Enya days, yeah, in the nineties, in the Mango Azul days. That's right. When you and uh, and Joe and Joe had a radio TV show, a radio show, yeah. a radio show, 
And it's funny because we had, I think we had met just before that, but then I, I kept listening to that because I was, I had just started with Church and Tower and I, and I had a, and it was a midday show. It was at noon. Noon, the right, right, right. right. So, so those were, that's what the time where I was driving around checking on construction crews, you know, and you kept me, uh, you kept me uh, entertained as I drove and stuff like that. And I think it was on AM, right? It, it was, was on AM. WQBA. WQBA. And uh, the reason why I would listen to it is my radio, my, my car was an old radio that only had AM, didn't have FM. So an old pickup truck. And I was like the youngest supervisor, so you get the, the crappiest truck, you know? So you, you, I would drive around, uh, and, I, you know, you listen, uh, between that and, and listening to, you know, La Poderosa, talking about, you know, the latest uh, problems in Cuba, so I would listen to a lot of, of, of your stuff, and it was very entertaining. Thank you. That was really Joe's show, but I joined him on it, and it was fun to do, and, and I learned a lot and, and, and had an incredible experience. That is gone now, that whole, you know, WQBA, La right. Radio Guana, and we were there right when it, when it was changing, but we were able to, like, hold that down for a little bit, and we met a lot of cool people. But it's almost like a prelude to today's podcasting world. In a way, it was. You know? Because this that we're doing is exactly what you would do with Joe, 1993, 1994, yeah, 95. Man. This is like uh, radio on demand. Yeah, exactly. That's what exactly. Uh, my friend Peter used to call it. That's it. Um, so if you, as a person that's done well and navigated the community and so forth, if you were going to give advice to somebody, whether it's you have a great deal of expertise in the business of construction and building right. and so forth, but in anything... You know, you're starting out. And then I have to ask you two questions about the association itself. Got it. But what advice would you give a person? I think I think the, the singular, bold, italics, underlying advice I would give is to expand your network. Uh, Miami is the biggest moth city there is. Uh, I have a good friend who says that Miami is run by around 3,000 people. And you want to try to be one of those 3,000 people or be close to that. Um, but I think if you can expand, the more access to information and, you know, folks that can help you, uh, folks that you can work with, folks that you can connect to anticipate the market or anticipate changes in your environment, the more you can do that. And I think you do that through friendships, through networking, which I think is where the LBA uh, offers such a great service. And influence, I think when you if you can expand your network as much as possible, the opportunities are geometrically expanded as well. Um, I think that's the singular most. I think beyond that, you know, I think you know, uh, dress well, you know, and uh, uh, you know, stay away from sugar and and kind of uh, build uh, which which are both two things that sometimes I struggle with. Uh, and I'm being facetious, but but I think expanding the network and kind of just going at it in the right attitude, right? Being you know being honest about what you do and and unapologetic. Uh, you know, Barbara Bush uh, used to say the, the former president's uh, wife used to say, uh, "Never explain, but never complain." You know, or never complain and never explain. You know, so I think you know, do what you got to do, do it in the right way. Be unapologetic about it uh, and move forward. You know, I love that. 
So I'm a regular guy. I'm just getting started in construction. I want to do windows. I'm putting in shutters right. or windows. Right. What is the benefit for me in joining? I know, okay, I can get some FaceTime with a politician or maybe I'm going to network, but there's already guys in there doing windows. Right, right. No, so I think what it does, but there's plenty of window contractors in South Florida, in and out of the LBA. Uh, I think what you're trying to do when you start a company is, number one, you want people to recognize what you do. Recognize your brand. Be aware of your brand. Once they become a little bit aware of your brand, become aware of you as an individual. You're the individual that's driving that brand. Um, you know, the market competition is a great thing, you know. So not every contractor uses the same window vendor every time. You know, they have a relationship with multiple window contractors or window vendors or installers. Um, and they love that. They love that because you compete. And in that competition, you know, I, I think the, the good thing about South Florida is that South Florida has always had the construction and the building industry has always been a big pillar, a big component of the South Florida economy. So there, there was a bit of a building boom. There's been a little bit of a building boom. It's, it's slowing down a little bit. But over the last few years, there's been a lot of, uh, a lot of opportunities. And sometimes that window installer that was working for that contractor or that developer just doesn't have enough people to handle the work, you know. And, and the only way I'll give you a price on that job if I raise my price to make it to be able to hire somebody else to do it, that's an opportunity for another entity to come in and say, okay, maybe I can do it for cheaper. And that's how they grow their business and create that comp competition and then the guy that had to walk away from the job says well you know i gotta go out and hire more people so i don't lose jobs to that that's an economic piston moving that's economic development now that person is hiring more people having to pay higher wages within those people turn around and invest back into the economy competition breeds success breeds you know uh good results so um to your point of that small contractor, window contractor that comes into the LBA, what we try to do at LBA is not, um, it's not a, uh, a one-stop shop or it's not a one-size-fits-all type of association. What we try to do is the needs of that small window contractor are different than the needs of the large home builder. And what we pride ourselves and what our staff does a really good job at is having a conversation with that member says, okay, define success as part of being a member of the LBA. Is it, you know, identifying five more opportunities or six more leads? Is it getting in front of home builders to explain your brand? Is it having a show and tell? Is it advertising on Proyecto Magazine? Is it participating in events in a way that you're branding your 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 company's logo for all to see. Is it exploring what happens after you succeed as a window installer? Do you want to migrate or educate yourself to go into home building per se, or you know general contracting or whatnot? Um, so there's a you know uh, folks. Each company has their own, um, I guess, way of viewing success. I always say, I always try to say that our goal is to make that annual membership check that they write be the easiest check they write. 
So when it comes time to renew, you know, it's an easy conversation because we've offered so much value that they recognize they want to maintain their relationship with the LBA. That's fabulous. So what now you're stepping down. Correct. Tell me what the future holds. Tell me about the new president and what what everything that's going to be on the docket, you know, moving forward. Right. So the the great thing about our association, what we figured out correctly years ago, is how to transition that leadership in a very efficient and a very calm and a very uh, natural way. Um, so how we, you know, prior to be becoming president, I was president elect. Um, we served two year terms. We elect our president elect two years ahead of when they take the gavel. So a gentleman called Anthony Gomez, who is the president and owner of Unitech Builders, a general contracting firm in South Florida, has served under as president-elect under me during my tenure. Um, on Tuesday, October 10th, he will take the gavel. We will ratify him as a board, uh, and he will become the new president of the LBA or the next president of the LBA. My title changes to immediate past president. Um, eventually, at that uh, board meeting that we ratify the president-elect as the new president, we will also elect a president-elect, um, and that individual will become the president when Anthony Gomez, um, you know, completes uh, his tenure. Uh, so we've have we have a very, you know, natural, a, a very, uh, you know, non-turmoil transition of, of power. We have a board of directors that the president reports to. The, the board of directors essentially guides the president and holds them accountable and offers feedback and, and guidance uh, and sets the vision for the association. Uh, we're top heavy in the sense that, you know, the president has a, a bully pulpit, right? They have a, a big say and where the association is headed, but it's it's really uh, very uh, a very democratic process. We we govern by consensus, uh, if you will. Uh, so I think he's going to do a great job. I think there's a lot of momentum uh, behind them, which is always what you know. I'm proud of the fact that I've uh, built that momentum. I built on the momentum left by you know the the past president, which was Eric Valderrama. Uh, so we've we've always had this line of succession. That that helps one another and and supports one another going forward. Uh, it's been great to see um, a new generation of leadership entering the association. Um, so we know just by you know checking birth dates that there's going to be an LBA for a long time because those folks are going to be part of it. Uh, so 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 I'm excited about that. That's really cool. That's brilliant. So that you got he's. Whoever that like when you were president elect, you were under the other president. Correct. So you're watching everything, right. getting a feel for everything, right. sitting on the board meetings with Mahino. Right. So it's very Absolutely. seamless. Absolutely. It becomes it very like seamless. I'm now the new. Wow, that's really. That's it. That's it. No, we do don't. A lot of we don't. nonprofits do that or no? I I think a lot of them do. A lot of them, um, you know, kind of. I think elect their president from within its ranks. Um, I think that we serve. You see a lot of chair elect or. Or you know, president and waiting top titles and stuff like that. Uh, that that also, I think that's the right formula. Uh, you know, I think there's always uh, you know, and, and and everybody has their own style. Um, you know, I'm more of a political animal, so I've leaned into that. 
I've tried to be a little more marketing focused, uh, advance the association in that direction to increase its visibility. Uh, Tony has some great plans uh, for the future of the OBA. Uh, and everybody has their own little style, but I think the, the, the central theme, the, the guiding principle is that ultimately we're here to support one another, to support our member companies, to make sure the association continues to be viable, influential, uh, stronger, that it grows financially, influentially, uh, you know, helping our members. Uh, and that it continues to move forward for decades to come. It's, we're now 52. We're going into our 53rd year. 2024 will be our 53rd year, and that's amazing. You know, so you know, hopefully, hopefully, it, it goes on for for another hundred years. That's amazing. That's beautiful. Now it's very, very inspiring. Um, I'll close. What's okay. the top five Gus books? Gus's top favorite five books. Well, I, gosh, I don't want to give him an order. I, I don't. I don't. I don't think I thought about an order. I love. There's a book called Advice and Consent. It was written in the late '50s, won the Pulitzer Prize, and it's about um, it's about a uh, it's about Washington D.C. It's about the Senate, which are the Advice and Consent is the the mission of the Senate. Uh, but it's a book that that you read it. You can almost read it as a as a guide to Washington D.C. to the beautiful architecture and things of Washington D.C. Or you can read it as a political thriller, stuff like that. To give you an, to give you, tell you how old it is, that it was, it was made into a movie in the early '60s. Uh, the young senator was played by Henry Fonda. Wow, uh, that's how old the book is. Um, I love uh, uh, East of Eden, Steinbeck's East of Eden. I, I, I think his worth, wordsmithing is amazing, and the way he can paint a picture with words, it's awesome. To have and have not, Hemingway's To Have and Have Not, uh, you know. Uh, there's a great line in To Have to Have Not. Um, uh, gosh, well, what's, the, what's the line? Uh, one of my favorite quotes is that today is just one day in all the days that would ever be. But what will happen in all of those days will be determined by what you do today. It's a great line. Um, there is, uh, I read a, a recent book. Um, uh, there's a, a Cuban writer called Leonardo Padura that I enjoy a lot. Uh, uh, he wrote a book called Herejes, Heretics, that is uh, a, a great book. You read it in Spanish? I read it in Spanish. I read it in English. He wrote it in Rey de La Habana? Uh, I don't think he wrote I don't. I don't know if he wrote it in Rey de La Habana. I don't remember that. Uh, he, had a, he has a book with, uh, there's, a, there's a couple of books with the, uh, what do you call it? With a, he's got a character, Mario Conde. Is that a detective? Detective. Yeah. A detective that gets out of detective and yeah. becomes a very colorful guy. They actually made a film. Right, they did. Uh, right, F- Five Nights in Havana. Or something Three like Nights that. in Havana, yeah. something like that. Uh, he wrote another book called The Man Who Loves Dogs, which is great, uh, which is about Trotsky, the guy who kills Trotsky and how he ends up in Cuba. Wow, and these are, you're reading them in Spanish? I, well, Heretics I read in Spanish and in English. I read it in English in about a month and a half, I read it in Spanish in about a year and a half. So you know, look up a of reading in Spanish. No, no, yeah. I try to, I try to read a book in Spanish every three books in English, but it's it's getting tougher and tougher. I, I, I will I will admit to that. Um, I love uh, the Great Gatsby. It's a book that I read uh, quite a bit. Uh, I'm a bit of a history buff, so um, you know, there's a there's a there's a book called Why Nations Go to War. That's pretty interesting. So, man, you know, and 
the Mambo Kings are classic. Oscar Iguelos. You know, great yeah, book. Yeah, great book. Uh, so there's a lot of good books. I mean, I, I, I think, I think the day that I retire, I'm going to get a hundred books and try to read. I want to read every every uh, president's biography before I die. Wow. So I think I'm like five into on only. So I got a long time to go, a long way to go. So that's really beautiful. That's really beautiful. So. That's. Gus, thank you, man. No, thank you, Bill. It's been great. We've had a great friendship for many years. It's almost uh, 30 years, probably. Yeah, it's been, it's been a lot of cigars, uh, uh, a few bottles of scotch, uh, and a lot of laughs. And I, I've appreciated our friendship for many years. Me too, me too. I was so honored when you asked me to emcee your, your... You did a great job. You should have done it more often. No, I'm that terrible at it, but you were sweet to do it. And, and it was an honor for Still me. Still the best best tux uh, that night. That you tux the, was very strong. With the, with the, with the fluffy, with the fluffy... Uh, the lapels, the like lapels, that? the lapels. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a Miami Twice tux from the 1920s. That's that awesome. I had since high school. Yeah. Still fits. Okay. Uh, Chigo, uh, God willing, many more scotches, many more cigars, many more laughs. And Absolutely. God Absolutely. bless you. Thank you, sir. Thanks, Thank you, man. Good stuff. Hey, like, subscribe. You know the drill. It's the Enya Podcast, and it's a new season. Lo quiero. Thanks to Gus. And uh, kudos to the LBA, the Latin Builders Association, y Palante. I'll see you on the next episode. La, 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 la,